Well, we're here live recording in Sydney in Alex's humble abode for a live in-person recording. We are. Planes are flying overhead. Yes. The was. sun is setting. It was a beautiful day. And we're looking out over my, or over the rooftops towards Sydney City. See the skyline a little bit? Yeah. You can actually see Sydney Tower. Did you notice? I sent you on Slack, there was one thing. I'm down to one. <laughs> Scientists have discovered a cure for potholes. Is this a type of concrete that heals itself? It's concrete and bitumen that, yes, it heals itself. So one has steel fragments in it, and when it's heated up, um, it will sort of heal over more readily. Because you can heat up bitumen, but then if it's only at the surface level, it's not going to do anything. So by embedding these steel particles into it, and then you run a hot roller over the top of it, it'll all sort of fix itself and heal over. And then the other one is concrete and bitumen that has bacteria in it that tries to close itself over. The problem with concrete is we reinforce it with steel, and then the concrete cracks over time, leaving little uh, ways for moisture to get in. And then that corrodes the steel that's reinforcing the whole structure. And then that's when bridges and that start to collapse, which is what's happening in America at the moment. So the bacteria sort of creates this um, plaster-type material in very small quantities, but fills the micro sort of cracks that end up in the concrete. So if you can deal with the bigger ones, then that becomes less of a problem. Well, that's, that's actually interesting. And I've heard of self-healing, well, a similar thing with plastics when heat is repaired. I, I don't know if it's so much healing, but they return to their original shape. Mm. I don't know if you've heard of that. but uh, I know they were going on about different paints that did a similar thing for a while too. It seems with, with that type of technology, though, it's always going to have a very limited kind of ability to heal itself. So... I mean, it's probably going to be more durable in the long run anyway, but, you know, it's never going to be a full fix for the problem. Yeah. Well, for the paint one, it's more about micro-abrasions. If you get a tiny scratch in it, it will, like, fix itself. But if you get a huge scratch in it, it's still the same thing. Well, obviously, yeah. And nobody really... Well, I mean, I'd say most people wouldn't even really notice the micro-scratches. It would be the big scratches that would be the problem. My brother went to the Intel Extreme Masters a Counter-Strike tournament on in Sydney here. Apparently they got 10,000 people, which uh, I wouldn't have thought they would have got quite that many for such a niche thing. But I guess it is one of the first ones in Australia to have um, professional-grade competitors play in it. Public transport was a bit of a nightmare, but uh, apparently that's not unusual for Sydney No, at the moment. No. There's so much work going on. It's entirely normal for Sydney, actually. There's always, as I was saying, there's always delays on the lines. And during the weekends, all the lines seem to just change. 
which is very off-putting because for somebody like me, I don't tend to check the the transport apps or anything like that. I don't tend to read the boards either. I just assume that my train is going to take me to where I want to go. But like last weekend, I jumped on a train that would normally be my train and I just checked that it was going to the end destination. Mm. And then it turned out that it wasn't stopping at my stop and I was already late for something as well. So I had to jump off the train and actually catch a taxi to where I wanted to go. Yes, there are a tremendous amount of taxis here as well. To make up for the terrible public transport. <laughs> yes, which is also mostly buses. Well, yeah, certainly certainly to the uh, to the more out-of-the-way areas. Yeah. You are lucky to just be able to use the train to get in and out from work. I have to say, I don't think I'd live along a bus line unless the house was absolutely amazing. Um, I mean, transport's a big part of your life if you work. It takes you know, up a lot of time. Yeah, exactly. And for me, buses are really uncomfortable too because my legs don't fit in them. And... Often they're so crowded that you have to stand. Yes. And I don't actually fit in a bus at the because I'm one of those people that always goes to the back of the bus. You know, the driver's always sitting there saying, "Everyone move to the back! Everyone move to the back!" And people just kind of shuffle around a bit and they don't move to the back. <laughs> but I move to the back. But I don't actually fit in the back of the bus. I have to tilt my head to the side because I'm too tall. Oh dear, that's there should be laws against that sort of thing. Well, the only thing I sometimes do is with the Sydney buses, so the back is the back is shorter than the rest of the bus um, because it kind of, for whatever reason, uh, it kind of tilts upwards towards the back so the roof slowly gets all the... Yeah, that's because they've got the engine at the back. Oh, okay. Well, that would make sense, yeah. yeah. Um, but they, they all... The Sydney... Well, most of the Sydney buses have a, have a skylight or kind of thing or an emergency escape hatch or something mm. at the back. So I can sometimes just put my head in that area and then I can stand up straight and look like an idiot, but, you know. Double-decker trains, though, are quite impressive. Well, you see, I didn't even think about it. Like, it was actually... I mean, I know when I go to Melbourne, I do notice that they're only single-decker, but I actually forgot that Melbourne didn't have double-decker trains or that anywhere didn't have them, really. We do have trams, though. Well, we have... a bit unique. We have a light rail system. Which they're slowly expanding. And that's what's going to be going into the CBD as well. Yeah. Is George Street going to be um, all pedestrian and light rail then? And no traffic anymore? I believe so. Apart from, I think maybe they're keeping buses and taxis in there. Okay. Uh, But yeah, that is is the idea. And I think it's a good idea, honestly. Like, I think the CBD isn't really a place for cars. Something I've been thinking about recently is... uh, Kind of the difference between living in the country and living in the city in terms of lifestyle and I guess how it affects you as a person. Oh, yeah. Um, which I know seems fairly specific. But I've always, well, I shouldn't say I've always, I've kind of had a vague thought that, you know, when I get a bit older, when my bones start to creak a bit and, you know, like, living in the city becomes a bit of a young man's game. Well, for me, maybe. Maybe I'll move into the country. But I also... Well, you're originally from the country. I am originally from the country. Uh, and I quite I quite enjoyed it there. And I was... I was uh... See, I, I don't know if I was just afraid of the change of moving to the... Uh, moving to the, you know, kind of a bigger city. Um, 
or if I did actually just genuinely enjoy the country more than I enjoyed you know, living in a town, which was the original move I made from my little hometown of Yandoit in, in country Victoria to, uh, to Castlemaine. So it was a move from a town of about 400 people to a town of about 10,000. Castlemaine. Well, tomato, potato. No, it's Castlemaine. <laughs> well, I mean, is it though? Yes. I think it's a bit of an irrelevant uh, pronunciation point, to be honest. Uh, and I'm probably not going to change because that's just how I pronounce my <laughs> words. Um, but with Castlemaine... No, you've gone too far now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but with with my time in Castlemaine, I don't know, you, you still, obviously it's still a small town. Uh, and one thing that I miss is just people... or you, you, it just doesn't seem that Sydney is ever lazy, you know. And I know that laziness isn't necessarily a good thing, but you just don't get lazy afternoons here. Now it's all rush, rush, rush. Everything seems to be in a rush. Um, and I feel that I'm kind of picking that up in my life. Like I seem to be rushing all the time. And I mean, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Some people like to go faster than others. Um, some people like to always have, you know, something on. Um, some people always like to be going to the next thing and that's fine and that's how I feel sometimes as well like I like to I like to fill up my time but I also feel at the moment to a certain extent that I just don't have much time uh, and I've kind of filled up my time no you're a bit time poor at the moment I am I am time poor but I'm filling up my time um, I feel like I'm filling it up with good things like I do a fair bit of exercise uh, maybe not in the last Little while, but I've still, you know, I'm still fairly physically active. Um, you know, I spend time with my friends, um, and I go out and do things. So I don't feel it's necessarily a bad thing. But I also feel like there are things that matter to me that I'm not, I'm not necessarily doing at the moment. Um, like I'm not really reading, and I like to read. What you need is what they keep talking about: the four-day working week. Oh, I'd love that. The, where you work ten hours a day for four days, and you have a uh, you have a three day weekend. Yeah. Do you know what I'd like? I would like to have it in such a way that I do Monday, Tuesday, break on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, two day break. Yeah. I think that, that would be perfect because then you've got a two day working week, really. Hmm. And. For me as well, I find that because I work in nine to five, if I need to do something in a company or something like that, if I need to go to the bank or do anything like that, oh, it just gets really difficult to do. Yeah. Because some of them just aren't open on the weekend. If you need to do something that you have to do on a weekday, it just becomes incredibly difficult. Um, and there just doesn't seem to be, beyond actually taking time off your job, there just doesn't seem to be a way around it. No. No, that is very annoying. Maybe there should be more concession for that. Maybe we should work uh, nine-hour working days and just have a, a nine-day fortnight. Will be a thing of the past soon, though, with Siri and newer technologies. Well, Samsung Bixby. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't see why it couldn't just be a, a virtual PA, but 
It'd still be a PA, I guess. And then everyone will have one. Then everyone will have more time in the day. <laughs> <laughs> Is that how it will work, though? Maybe. Potentially. It's one potential future. I kind of feel that... I don't know. With the progression of AI as it as it gets smarter and smarter... I feel like it may just be another thing that kind of traps us in as opposed to freeing up our time. Like, because if you've got an AI and you say, right, I want to get this, this, and this done, it may make us slightly more efficient, but it probably won't free up any of our time. It'll just make us achieve a bit more. Well, it's, it's, it's how it tends to work, right? If you have more resources, they tend to be used. Yeah. Back in the day when computers were advancing in leaps and bounds... Every year people would say, oh, the thing's so powerful, we'll never need any more power than this. And then, of course, the software would come and use all the resources available, and then more powerful computers would come out, and the whole system would repeat itself. And it will possibly never stop. No. Do you know what I sometimes think about? Like, where humanity will end up. Um, Because I feel, personally, humanity isn't going to get off this planet. And if we do, we're not going to get out of this solar system. It just seems like the... Well, I mean, I have a couple of theories, and they're really just based on my own personal observations. Um, They're not really coming from a place of knowledge, I will say this, but it seems to me that the technology required to transport human beings to another habitable planet... um, Let's just let's just say let's just say that Mars is an option. Let's just say another habitable planet outside this solar system. Um, and I think the closest one is something like what was it, twenty something light years away? I could be I could be completely off on that figure. Sounds reasonable. Um, but obviously that's twenty years travelling at the speed of light to reach that planet. Mm. Um, and you know considering the speeds that we can reach at the moment which are not even close to that and considering the technology we have at the moment that isn't even close to having the ability to fly through space um, having the ability to keep someone alive for that period of time um, and uh, I guess obviously the AI technology we need to have on board those ships um seems to me that humanity by itself would never be able to accomplish that. But if we get AI to the point where it could actually develop these systems and this technology and, you know, these, these spacecrafts or whatever they kind of are, then that would be the way that humanity would get out of, would kind of progress to other solar systems and possibly habit, inhabit other worlds. So you're saying that... The advances required in order to do such a thing is like too far away for us to really, for that to really happen without advances in AI. Well, that, that's what I think. Uh, again, I'm not entirely sure. I don't know where technology sits at the moment exactly. What if we spliced our DNA with those little cal- caterpillar guys that can be frozen and then just woken up at a moment's notice? The the tardigrades. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then we can have the uh, sleep pod things like they have in every science fiction film. Well, as I understand it, it is possible to cryogenically freeze somebody, but it's just 
bringing them back to life that's the problem. <laughs> it's the freezing part is fine. The reanimation is the uh, sticky point. Yeah. Um, but but my understanding is like you you take the blood out of somebody's system, you replace it with a certain fluid that stops the tissue breaking down, mm. um, and then you can freeze somebody. But you were just talking about preserving preserving the tissue, which yes, that's possible. But you have to preserve life in that process. Well, I mean, what is life, though, really? Have you heard about um, the 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 man in Russia who will be having a uh, a head replacement surgery? A head replacement. So, my understanding Wait, is he getting a new head or is he getting a new body? So he's getting a new body. Okay. Um, I was going to say I don't think it would really work the other way. Or right? a body replacement surgery. I think they called it a head replacement surgery, though. But basically, what the situation is is. Um, as I understand it, it's been fairly widely condemned by the uh, the medical and scientific community because it's not it's not a it's not a procedure that we've actually been able to perform successfully on any on any large animals. Mm. Um, so I think on mice they might have done it semi successfully. Um, on on monkeys it, it has been tried, um, and the monkeys haven't lived beyond a day or two. Mm. Um, the basic idea behind it is, I think, um, you know, you, you freeze the head or you cool it a lot. Um, you detach all the muscles, spine, sever the spinal cord um, at the neck. And then they're going to be finding a, uh, a donor body that's going to come from someone who's uh, brain dead, essentially. Yep. Um, and then they're going to attach it. Um but they don't really understand what the consequences of attaching somebody else's head to somebody else's body will be. Um, and it's been suggested that, or from what I understand, it's been suggested that it could have quite dire, if, if it was successful and he does survive, it could have quite dire effects on his mental state. Um, because he I'd would say so. have his head with somebody else's body. And we don't understand how the rest of your body actually... Um, communicates and um, affects, you know, your psyche, your your personality. Um, and it's kind of been suggested that once this surgery happens, his personality could change completely mm. um, if it is successful, which it seems very unlikely that it will be. So There's no way they could attach everything perfectly, right? Well, so, so even if it works, it would take months of rehabilitation for him to be able to move or do anything. Oh, longer than that, I think. Um, so what they, what they do is they, they can't reattach nerves. Yeah. So they've got to stimulate nerve growth. So what they do is they attach the muscles and everything like that to the rest of the head and the, and the veins so that the blood can, can pump. Mm. Um, and then they, um, they, they, I think they, they're going to be injecting uh, some kind of uh, serum or gel or something into the, uh, his spinal cord. Um, which will stimulate growth of the uh, of the of the nerves between his head and the you know his new body, um, and they're hoping that it will then reattach itself. Hoping, hoping is yeah. the keyword. <laughs> well, they are, and I mean they they don't actually, as far as I understand, they don't actually really have the technology to do this at the moment. So if somebody were to snap their spine and break the the nerves, they don't really have the serum to reattach them. Um, but they're kind of hoping that this will work. Um, and it's as I said, it's being performed in Russia. I think the the lead 
surgeon or medical person is Russian, um, and they they will have some Chinese surgeons as well. Um, but I think generally most people are against it. It's made the news a lot, mm. and uh, the gentleman who's volunteered is, is uh, essentially dying at the moment. So he has a degenerative disease um, in his spine or something like that. That uh, he, he can't walk. Obviously, he's wheelchair wheelchair bound. I don't think he's ever walked in his life. Um, so for him to volunteer for this surgery obviously isn't a big deal because he, he knows he's on the way out mm. uh, anyway. And this this gives him a small chance at, uh, I guess, leading a normal life. Mm. Um, but I suppose the real kind of, or the main point of all this is they haven't actually managed to even perform this surgery successfully. I, mean, I believe it's been tried on monkeys. I mm. think is the main animal they tried it on. And the monkeys, the monkeys just died very soon afterwards. Yes. So... I think this is just going to be one of those things, more just a sensationalist story where they, they try it, it doesn't work, and it will just be a big media blow-up for nothing. Yeah. They seem to have lax regulations in Russia. I well, guess they exactly. just do their own thing. They wouldn't be able to do this in probably, I don't think, any Western No, country. I don't think so. Because it's not. Obviously, it doesn't fall into line with Western I think that's science. where they did the monkey things too, but that was a few years ago now. Like 10, 15, 20 years ago. So maybe they think they have a few more ideas to try this time. Yeah. But I mean, on a human. <laughs> as I understand it, they are still allowed to perform these surgeries on, on animals. Um, maybe it's just not widely documented anymore because people don't like it. Well, possibly. Um, I mean, it's not nice to think of performing experimental surgery on animals, uh, especially this that, that kills them. Um, but really, where, where else do you go? Um, it is hard. But maybe you just accept that when someone's body is dead, they're gone. See, I disagree with that. Like, you should definitely not accept that. Um <laughs> Because, I mean, or else, where do, you, where do you kind of draw the line? Do you say, oh, well, you know, this person's got a cold. They're Just dead. let nature take them. Yeah. Just give, give them away. It's God's plan. That's right. <laughs> They're gone. Did you remember hearing about that, uh, that family that ended up getting charged, or this husband and wife ended up getting charged with manslaughter because their son had, their son had diabetes? Oh, is this the one where they went through all the uh, herbal sort of remedies and things? And I don't know. No, no, no. That was different. This, I, I, I think I know the one you're talking about. But this one, they didn't believe in diabetes. Um, and, and they just did nothing. Yeah, I think it was some, it was some religious basis to it. Hmm. Um, but basically, the, the boy ended up starving to death, essentially. Um, and and they, they basically locked him inside the house. So they... They had custody of him, obviously, when he was a child, and they lost custody because he was he was not being cared for. Um, and then he went to a foster home uh, where he, I think he was he was quite well looked after. Uh, and then the parents won custody of him again. Um, and it, so it was in the United States, I think. And there, were, there weren't really any checks around making sure that he was looked after. It was believed that, um, you know, he would be monitored through the schooling system. So if he was looking unhealthy through the school, they would report it and then, mm. you know, something could be done about it. But what they just did was they took him out of school and they didn't put him back in school. And there were no checks in place to make sure that he was still at school. So 
yeah, and then they, they moved to another state. Uh, they didn't put him back into school. They just, I think, homeschooled him. Uh, and he ended up, I think, being locked in a basement for about a year uh, for whatever reason. What's um, that got to do with him being <laughs> having diabetes? Well... Uh, they seem just like terribly negligible parents. Oh, they were definitely horrible people. But I, I think it was more to do with the fact that maybe he was insisting that he wasn't feeling well or something and it was just a punishment um, to make sure that he didn't kind of try to continue this diabetes behaviour. <laughs> diabetes behaviour. Oh, dear. Yeah, oh, there's yeah. some serious messed up people. Oh, definitely, yeah. Um, and then uh, I think they took him to hospital a couple of hours before he died, but he was he was basically, you know, hadn't... hadn't been able to absorb anything properly into his body, mm. um, and then he, and then he died. Um, and it was only then. Obviously, they've gone to jail now. I think, but really, it was just a failure of the system. Um, totally negligent. But I, I believe their reasoning was based around religious reasons. Like they believed they didn't believe that God would, you know, create diabetes or whatever it was. Um, but I, I know the one you were talking about before as well with the herbal remedies. Yeah, the homeopathy. They tried every so-called potential cure. Or yeah, I think it must have been cancer. I guess. No, I think he had he had. Um, or was it just some sort of cold? Yeah, it was or pneumonia like, or something. Yeah, like that. yeah, yeah. No, I think it was. And he, yeah, so he would have been fine in that case. But they just keep trying all this herbal stuff, and he just died. Yeah, well, th- those parents actually ran their own. Uh, they ran their own homeopathy store or something like that. Yeah, um, and they were they were trying all their own remedies on him, and they weren't working. Um, and then basically, he he just died. Uh, and then they actually went to court and defended their actions. Mm. So after killing their child by denying him real medicine and i am quite confident saying real medicine because homeopathic medicine is not real medicine it's not it's entirely fake and the government should do more to educate people on that fact oh it shouldn't be acknowledged as medicine at all like the fact of the matter is you're still allowed to sell homeopathic medicine as medicine i think i remember seeing a quote by i think it was just a comedian or something but he said do you know what they call alternative medicine that works they call it medicine <laughs> like that's what it becomes Yes. <laughs> Alternative medicine is just medicine that does not work. That's right. It's okay to come up with a thing and then do the trials and test it. And it might, but if you find something and it works, then that yeah becomes medicine. And if not, it should be ignored, not just continually sold to people as a potential other avenue when it just has no effect on anyone. Exactly. And one thing that's especially dangerous about these types of medicine is they're not regulated. So... The substances that sit inside these things are not actually yeah. necessarily safe. And um, most of them are just neutral and benign. But there are, have been a few cases where, especially I think for infants, have been levels above what they really should be getting. Yeah, yeah. I remember reading a China, uh, something about a Chinese natural remedy that had a that has a substance in it that actually causes liver cancer in. Uh, like a percentage of the population if you i don't know you have a certain gene or you have a certain um susceptibility to 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 this substance um you 
you actually, you, you know, your chances of getting liver cancer rise exponentially to the point where you, you are actually quite likely to get it from this substance. Mm. Um, and it was, it was just being sold on, in, in a store as, you know, a treatment for whatever, treatment for living probably. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy what some people can get away with. I feel like most of them know what they're doing and they're just selling bullshit because they can. But some of them truly believe in this stuff and it's scary, like those parents with that kid. Yeah. And those parents have apparently... So they were in Canada and they have apparently gone back to selling homeopathic medicines. How could you not wake up after something like that? I think they've just they've just basically used the media attention to to you know, create a campaign to fight for homeopathic medicine. It's just ludicrous. It's crazy. It's embarrassing, honestly. I know there's a lot of people fighting hard in the States to try and get it shut down or regulated a lot harder than it is now. I don't know about this country. That's the problem, though. When you have, when you have something like homeopathic medicine, um, which is big business. I mean, you know, it's not huge business, but it's big business. Um, you know, however many billions of dollars of it are sold. And, you know, you obviously have large companies that manufacture it. And these companies, their businesses are based around it. So they're obviously going to do everything they can to stop it being shut down. So it then, you know, it might not have originally been the intention of this company, but then they become, in my mind certainly, responsible for the deaths that their medicine causes. Mm. Um, and it just it just kind of boggles my mind that people don't seem to realise this. Well, it's just false advertising, isn't it? If you sell something that say, oh, I could I could do something, even though I know they use fairly vague terminology, but then people take that, oh, it potentially treats this as definitely a treatment for this, and then they use it, and then they wonder why it doesn't do anything. And why they spent 30 or $40 on yeah, a couple of tablets. Yeah. And they get celebrity endorsements and all this stuff. Yes, like Gwyneth Paltrow. They should be more responsible too. Well, that's the thing. People people should not take ever take medical advice from celebrities. <laughs> well, I guess that's a good point. If you're doing that, you're just doing it backwards. Well, you are. I mean, these, these people, obviously, they're actors. Um, and they're obviously very influential. Uh, and they're role model- models for a lot of people. But they shouldn't be. I mean, all they've done is act in a film. And they might even use the products themselves, but I'm sure they would actually use proper medicine if they really needed to. Well, they would, yeah. And they have, obviously, very experienced doctors who can look after them. Yes. As opposed to you or I, who might go to a GP, who may not realise that whatever you've been taking is probably not that good for you. And then, you know, you could end up potentially getting ill or dying from it. I've heard some GPs um, prescribing sort of homeopathic sort of medicine on occasions too. But I think that maybe more just people these days feel so when they go in for a cold or something, they want to take something to make them feel better. And maybe sometimes the doctors go, here, look, take this. It'll make you feel better, even though it really does nothing. But that's a dangerous way to practice, I think. They should just say, no, it's fine. Just go home, get some rest, drink plenty of water, and be done with it. Well, 
Look, I have to admit it would be really difficult being a GP because you're right. People expect to be prescribed something. Yeah. Um, and, like, I don't feel I'm that bad, but even sometimes I'll go in and I'll think, like, I really just want something to help me get over this, mm. whatever it is that I'm suffering at the moment. For a lot of people, at least, they they might want antibiotics or something, but I, well, at least I'd, I'd like to think, I'm very aware of the danger of taking antibiotics. Mm. Um, because antibiotics resistance is a huge problem. Um, and we've basically taken medicine that, that was incredibly effective and useful at treating things that used to kill people um, and basically turning those disease, those once fatal things into things that we can, we can fix with a few pills and we're turning those things back into fatal diseases just because we don't manage our antibiotics use properly um, or even very well at all. Mm. Um, and... I know a massive problem in hospitals is the fact that there are a lot of superbugs around in hospitals, bugs that are resistant to certain types of antibiotics, certain very commonly used types of antibiotics, um, to the point where something is, well, something I would usually think of as inconsequential, like urinary tract infection, to the point where that can become fatal for somebody. Mm. Um, Just because people aren't finishing their antibiotic scripts... Um, or they're, you know, they're, they're just they're just insisting on taking antibiotics for a cold, yeah. which, by the way, you should never do because a cold is a virus, and you can't fix a virus with antibiotics. Thanks very much for listening. We'd appreciate it if you could leave us a review on iTunes, and you can get in touch with us on Twitter at Tangential Soup. You can find Alex at his house. In Sydney. (laughs) Uh, And please consider supporting us on Patreon. Uh, Even if it's just a little bit, it all counts. Uh, Yes. Thanks very much and good night. Good night. Good night.